Good morning, Reach Montreal. Um, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the leaders here, and I have to say it is a joy and a pleasure uh, to be able to be speaking to you this morning. So we're going to continue our series in First Peter, uh, A Hope for Exiles. Last week, we were talking about holiness, um, what holiness means, um, that we're commanded to be holy, the concept of holiness, and that it is a resisted non-conforming to the dominant global ethic that does not follow Jesus. So today, now that we know that we're called to be God's holy people and that we're set apart, what exactly does that mean? How do we live like that? So we're going to start unpacking some terms, but first, let's start in prayer. It's always the best place to start. So we're going to pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Um, We thank you for the time that we get to draw our attention to you and that your word is highlighted. We just pray that your spirit be present with us, that you would unpack what holiness and what sanctification means and how we live our holy lives uh, and that our lives would be lived for you. We just pray, Spirit, that you would equip and empower us and prepare our hearts and minds and that we would be ready to receive the message that you've given to us. We pray and we ask this in your holy name. Amen. All right. So when the Bible talks about holiness and sanctification, it's the same word. Um, and it's talking about the same things. So we, we talked about holiness before. Uh, we talked about it in the previous week. And now we're going to be talking about sanctification. So we know that we are called to be holy because Christ, God, is holy. And that we're called to be set apart. But how do we live like that? How do we live like that? So what exactly is sanctification? And so we're going to use we're going to we're going to have some help from Kevin DeYoung and he talks about this in his book The Hole in Our Holiness and he gives us two sides of the same coin as to what sanctification is. So I want to turn to two passages. We're going to turn to two passages in 1 Peter and from that we're going to we're going to we're going to expand on the terms that Kevin DeYoung uses to help us kind of see what's going on here. And the first is in 1 Peter. So turn to 1 Peter um, chapter 1 verses 18 to 19. So let me read it here. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And now I also want to turn to 1 Peter in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. This kind of like, therefore, so put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in salvation. If you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good, that you may grow up in salvation, if you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. So this is where our friend Kevin DeYoung helps us with this. And it's we're talking about sanctification here. And we're going to unpack what that means, how we live sanctified lives, and where we are sanctified. But we're going to start with these two terms. 
the first passage in First Peter, when we look back to verses 18 and 19, it talks about definitive sanctification. Now, this is our redemption. And this is purely and solely the work of Jesus. This is the work that Jesus has done on the cross for you and I. And this is something that nobody can reproduce. And, 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 and going back to First Peter, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus has paid the price for our sins, for your sins. He paid the price on the cross so that we can have right standing with God. And if we keep going on uh, to chapter to chapter 1, we go back to chapter 1, verse 20. Okay, He, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And immediately afterwards, if we continue to verse 22, Peter reminds us, therefore, that we love one another out of a pure heart because we have been born again, because our souls have been purified by our obedience to the truth. And that is faith, accepting what Christ has done for us. And so, and so, and and that's amazing. Whenever we're told to do things in scripture, whenever we're commanded to do things, the starting point is always remembering what Christ has already done for us. And so we know what Christ has done for us. And Peter reminds us of that. First, he gives us that framework and that propels us into action. And that is a worship from our own hearts of acknowledging and being thankful for what Christ has done for us. So that propels us into action. So once again, going back, that is definitive sanctification. That is the work of Jesus on the cross where he has renewed our minds, where we accepted his, 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 his sacrifice, where we have believed it by faith, where we have trusted in him and trusted in the work that he has done. And, and because of that, in awe and in adoration and in worship and praise, we go on to something called progressive sanctification. And this is the wonderful parts, like I've said before, this is the wonderful parts where scripture commands us to live differently because we have seen the face of God in Christ. And this propels us to reflecting the image of our father in heaven because we know him and we are to live as his children. So this is progressive sanctification. So Peter talks about this in, 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 in chapter two, verses one to three. So let me read this for you, okay? Let me read this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this is the progressive sanctification is that because of what Christ has done, so we're talking about the same coin here, because of what Christ has done, we are to put away all malice and all deceit. We are to live differently. And this is our response uh, in worship and awe to what Jesus has done for us. 
that, the, that, that our righteousness was not attainable on our own. This is purely the work of Jesus on the cross. But because of that, we therefore go and live differently. This is our progressive sanctification. Okay, great. So we've talked about sanctification. Um, we, we've, we, we've used these terms called um, our definitive sanctification. Um, we use this term called our progressive sanctification. But, you know, you might say that doesn't actually, you know, help me that much. Thanks for unpacking those two, thing, two things for me. But whose job is this anyways? How am I sanctified? So question, do we just simply let go and let God? Can I just simply wait around for God to change me? Um, or maybe I wait in my basement. I say a few prayers and I just ask God to change me. I say, I'm struggling with this. Just change me. Meanwhile, I just wait. I just sit back and passively wait. And I think we, we've, we've lost this as a church um, and as, as the church. And that sometimes you hear this in Christian circles that, that it's almost like effort. That our striving and our effort is almost like a bad word. Um, it's, always, it's almost like this, this, this bad word uh, where we forget about the effort that we are supposed to put forward in response to what Christ has done for us. So I want to make this clear. Jesus has done the irreplaceable work on the cross. He has satisfied the wrath of God um, that we deserved so that we could have union with him. There's a difference. He's torn the veil so as to speak. He's torn the veil between God and ourselves. That's something that he did. We can't do that. And praise him for that. So that's given us union, access to him. But in order to have communion with him, communion, you need to live as his children. You need to live as you are a part of his household. You need to live as his children. And this is why Peter constantly reminds us of what Christ has done. And therefore, because you know what he's done And because you are thankful for what he has done, you must then go and live like this. You are to abstain from this. You are to pursue this. You are to pursue holiness. You are to pursue the face of God. So in other words, I'm trying to say here, if God has given you the ability to walk, you need to get up and walk. Remember this passage? In Luke 8, 21, this is Jesus speaking. I quote Jesus. But he answered them, My mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And just in case you wanted some more, scripture is filled with this and it's wonderful. I'm going to remind you of a few more things. 1 Timothy 4.7, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight. Luke 13.24, strive to enter the narrow gate. You notice how these things are not passive? We are being reminded and told to train ourselves in godliness. We are being reminded and told to fight the good fight, to strive to enter the narrow gate. And I'm going to keep going. 
1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, running the race and disciplining the body. And in Philippians 3, pressing on towards the goal. 2 Peter 2, 5, making every effort, make every effort. And it goes on. We're going to go to Revelations as well. Chapter 3, the reward of eternal life goes to those who conquer and overcome. These themes are constant throughout scripture and they are never passive. Remember, once again, when we look back uh, previously to where we looked in 1 Peter, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then you need to therefore live differently. You need to resist the old ways of your, of, of your previous thinking before you knew Christ. That is the desires of the flesh. That is uh, everything that is opposite uh, to the will of God. Everything that is os- opposite to the character of God. The ways that, that, you were pre- that previously dominated and influenced your ways of thinking and your action. And you instead, uh, you, because your, 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 your mind and your heart has been changed, because Christ has revealed himself to you, now that you know Christ, you need to live differently. Once again, 1 Peter 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up, that you may grow up, not stay where you are, that you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I'm going to read this quote that's going to help us unpack this and understand this as well. And it's from Martin Lloyd-Jones. The New Testament calls upon us to take action. It does not tell us that the work of sanctification is going to be done for us. We are in the good fight of faith. And we have to do the fighting. But thank God we are enabled to do it. For the moment we believe and are justified by faith and are born again of the Spirit of God, we have the ability. So the New Testament's method of sanctification is to remind us that, and to remind us that, and having reminded us of it, it says, now then, go and do it. So once again, This is not to take away from the work that Jesus has done for us. Because no one can produce that. He was the spotless and blameless Lamb of God. Only Christ was able to tear the veil that was between you and I. You you and us and God. That was between God and us. But once again, you need to get up and live in that reality. Be free to, to live in your salvation. God has given you to the ability to walk. So get up and walk. Work out your salvation in the household of God. So what we're not saying here is that effort is apart from the spirit of God. We know that he is the one that equips us. So I also want to give us some reminders here that we cannot be holy that we cannot live sanctified lives apart from the Spirit of God. 
He is our helper in this. So I want to remind you also of three important truths when it comes to the Holy Spirit that we are, we are tolling uh, in this effort, but it is not on our own. Because who's the one that gives you power? So the Holy Spirit empowers our inner being. And that's seen in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. He empowers us so that we can resist the sins that we couldn't resist before. And that we can do the things which have otherwise been impossible. They were not possible before. But he's renewing us. And this is great news. Praise God for that. So that we can resist. Remember we talked about this last week about holiness. Is that, is that there's this resistance, this non-conformity, right? So he is empowering us so that we can resist those ways. Our previous ways. So listen, there is no room for a defeatist type mentality, this, this defeatist Christianity that is fueled by a false sense of humility. Wake up. You are in the fight of your life. Remember, the Spirit also warns us that sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you and you must rule over it. There is no room for a false sense of humility because you are so much in appreciation and in awe and in admiration of what Christ has done that that empowers you to go and live. The Spirit encourages us, it reminds us, and that that empowers our inner being. And this is amazing. This is real, real, tangible power. Secondly, the Spirit convicts us of sin. And we see that in John 16. He illuminates God's word, God's teaching, and he reminds us what is true. He convicts us of sin. And I'm going to read from John. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. This is Jesus speaking. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Praise God for that. Praise God that the Spirit illuminates our mind. That he convicts us of sin. And so thirdly, he puts the emphasis and the spotlight on Christ so that we can see his glory and that we can be changed. This is really good news. You know, in the Old Testament, Moses' face was transformed in the presence of holy God while on Mount Sinai. But we too, in the presence and in the face of Christ, are being transformed. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that as we, we are face to face with Christ, that in communion with him, that we begin to look more like him. That we, um, that our faces also, that our whole body is being transformed and that we are becoming more like Christ. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit adores Christ and helps us reorient refocus, and bring our attention to Christ. This is amazing news. So once again, I want to kind of highlight that, is, is practically speaking, how does this holiness, how does this sanctification 
look like in our lives? If, so if, if the Spirit puts an emphasis and a spotlight on Christ so that we also may see him and have a grasp of him to understand the truth and look more like him. So practically speaking as well, what does that look like? So I'm going to borrow from Kevin DeYoung here, and this is a, this is a, this is a nice quote uh, that he mentions in his book, The Whole in Our Holiness. And remember, once again, that, that, that the body uh, is the temple of God because Christ's spirit is in us. That Christ is pleased to dwell in us because of what he's done. And, and, and we're also reminded of, of this in Peter, right? Our bodies are living stones. Our body is the temple of God. These living stones that God is the one building up his, 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 his church, right? God is building his temple. And Christ is the cornerstone and we are the living stones. So Kevin DeYoung says this. You can think of holiness to employ a metaphor as the sanctification of your body. The mind is filled with the knowledge of God and fixed on what is good. The eyes turn away from sensuality and shudder at the sight of evil. The mouth tells the truth and refuses to gossip, slander, or speak what is coarse or obscene. The spirit is earnest, steadfast, and gentle. The heart is full of joy instead of hopelessness, patience instead of irritability, kindness instead of anger, humility instead of pride, and thankfulness instead of envy. The sexual organs are pure, being reserved for the privacy of marriage between one man and one woman. The feet move toward the lowly and away from senseless conflict, divisions, and wild parties. The hands are quick to help those in need, and ready to fold in prayer. This is the autonomy of holiness. That's amazing. That's a picture and a reminder to us of what of the redeeming, the redeeming of our entire body and our entire being, that we would be more conformed to the likeness of Christ. And that our bodies, the amazing bodies, that God has made for us, that it would be doing what it was always meant to do. And that's amazing. So, you know, this is, this is all great, right? So we've, we've talked about sanctification, um, that it's, there's, it's, it's, it's that to, to one coin that we've used these, these terms of definitive sanctification. Uh, so that's the work of Christ and what he's done. Progressive sanctification, and this is that in, in, in awe of what Christ has done, that it, it springs us into action. And this action, this walking out and growing in our salvation is not simply just our own being. Surely it's our effort, but it is because we have the Holy Spirit who renews and, and, and empowers us um, and, and enables us to live like that. That we do not take the Holy Spirit lightly in that. And that's great. But we have another question here. And, and that is, where does sanctification take place? And with whom? Where is the place that sanctification, that, that sanctification is? So, you cannot be sanctified apart from the body of Christ. If you belong to the Lord 
then you are amongst many members and you are one people. Okay? So, so we're going we're gonna to turn back to 1 Peter, all right? 1 Peter um, chapter 2, verses 9 uh, to 11, okay? I'm going to read. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I'm going to backtrack a little bit to chapter 1, verse 22. Remember? Remember why? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, brotherly love. You can't love yourself on your own like that. You can't have brotherly love if you don't have any brothers, right? Love one another. Once again, that puts the emphasis on community. And now we're going we're gonna to fast forward a bit to chapter 2, verse 2, where we've already read this. But remember, like newborn infants, infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. And lastly, again, in verse five, you yourselves like living stones, not living stone. You are not the living stone, okay? Living stones are being built up as a spiritual, wait for it, house, a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, you know, many of us might think nowadays that we can just be sanctified on our own. Why do I even need to go to church? I mean, I got my coffee on Sunday morning. I got my nice little toast, maybe some fancy pancakes and some bacon and eggs. And I got my Bible open and do my own little Devo. Why do I need to go to church? Isn't God changing me right there? But I want to remind you is that in all of these passages that we've read, nowhere is the emphasis on you. If you are centering your life, if you are centering your faith on yourself, it is not centered on Christ. We need to remember and be reminded that we are a part of God's household. It's not that I am just on my own um, I mean, I, it's, it's my own house. No, we are God's. We are a part of God's household. So I want to also remind you as well that if you are living on your own, if you are not living in the house of God, you are actually, practically speaking, missing out on so many opportunities. Remember, it's plural. It's a people. It's a house with many stones, and you are missing out on so many opportunities. And we're going to unpack that very soon. And, and, and just going back to verse 2 where it says infants, right? Have you ever noticed that infants are in constant care of their family? That you can't leave an infant alone like ever? Um, that you are always caring for this baby, for this child, in order that it can grow, that it can survive? 
And I've heard a lot of young parents always joking, right? You know, how are things with your kids? And they say, well, they're alive. (laughs) We're keeping the kids alive. And that's great because they know the constant care that they need within the family. That You can't just lock a baby in a room, go about your day, and expect that baby to grow in any way. The baby needs affection, interaction, love, nourishment. And so, and, and practically speaking, once again, do you realize the wealth of opportunities that are there for you in the house of God? Is evangelism something that you've always struggled with and you have no idea where to start? Well, I promise you the place to start is not living in your own house, never interacting with the body of Christ, and just thinking for it to drop from the sky magically. Why don't you spend time with brothers and sisters who have shown the work of an evangelism, who have these gifts, and why don't you learn from them? Why don't you take the opportunity to joyfully learn from them? You want to teach or preach? Well, you are not going to be able to teach and preach from the comfort of your own chair, your own computer chair, watching countless videos without um, co-laboring uh, within, with, with others within the church and where you see how preaching and teaching is done all throughout the church. You want to grow in your marriage? That is great. But you are not going to grow in your marriage if you just isolate yourself and think that the purpose and meaning of your marriage is only you. You're going to grow in your marriage when you get to see and hear the testimony of other Christ-centered marriages and where they get to talk to you about how their marriages have grown throughout the years, and they get to share their wisdom, and you get to see a marriage in action. That's where you're going to learn about your marriage. You're going to learn about it amongst other married, uh, married people within the community. You want to know what to do with your singleness? Then live amongst fellow singles and fellow married people in the house of God, Learn from their wisdom and their experiences so that you can make the most of your singleness and that you can also learn to thrive in community because you were never meant to be alone. Are you feeling overwhelmed with your fight uh, for purity and for lust? For purity over lust? Then get plugged into a DNA group. Confess your sins to one another. Preach the word to one another. Preach the gospel. Pray for one another. Hold each other accountable. And you will see the power of God working with it through you. That the power of God will, will encourage you and will give you and strengthen your resolve to fight. Are you feeling anxious? Well, then there's nothing worse than being alone in your bedroom all by yourself and having your thoughts just continue to run its laps in your head. Come to the, the body of Christ. Come to the house of God where you once again get to confess to one another, where you get to pray for one another and encourage one another. And you get to speak to real people that God ha- is working through together and that you get to be reminded and empowered because of what God has done. You cannot be Christ's holy people or nation if you are just a person, right? And remember, this is where sanctification takes place. 
And, and remember the concept of adoption, right? How it begins in a courtroom and ends in a family. It ends in a family at the dinner table. Christ has said, you, I want you to come and to live in my home so that you may know me and that you may love me because I have always loved you. And now as a child in the Lord's home, you also need to learn his ways. You need to be brought up in the right ways. You need to learn the rules of the household. You, how else are you going to learn to love your brother and your sisters if you are just alone? Come into the house of God, right? Because sanctification, this is the point I'm trying to make here. Sanctification drives us deeper, deeper into community. This is where we get to experience sanctification, that it is done together. Um, and that we get to reflect Christ in this as we learn, um, we learn to put to death the deeds of the flesh, right? And remember, once again, I want to I leave you with something, okay? Um, remember that, that even as, 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 as Dustin said, Pastor Dustin said last week, right? That holiness is not this, this moral perfection. Um, you know, it's, it's this moral progression. And that requires effort. That requires effort. Okay? But I, but I, but I want to bring focus to this, Okay? That in your struggle, right, in your struggle over sin in this life, that if you grieve your sin, um, if, if God, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then you no longer agree with your sin. And that in and of itself, you need to rejoice of. Because that means that Christ has done his definitive sanctification for you that your mind is, is that it has been renewed and that it is being renewed and it's continuing to be, to, to being renewed. That when you sin and that, and that the Holy Spirit highlights that to you, that you actually get to rejoice because you no longer agree with your sin. And that shows that you are citizens of the new heaven. And, and, and but once again, our praise and our adoration doesn't just stop there. We say, Jesus, thank you for what you have done. And as Peter has also reminded us of this, we say, therefore, therefore we go and we live like this. Right? So expecting perfection from ourselves or others is not what holiness is about. But it sure doesn't leave any room for us to quietly just give up and hide in the corner and say, well, I'm just going to wait for God to do this. No, he, he has given us everything. And we don't want to take the Holy Spirit lightly. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. Um, and we want to live as his people because we are his people. That's the truth that we're reminded of. We get to live as his people because we are his people. And that's amazing. So that brings all of the emphasis and all the focus on Christ and praise Jesus for what he has done. He has done the work on the cross for you and I so that we can live and be his people. That we are being brought together in the household of God. And as we've been reminded that God is assembling us as these living stones 
We are living because of what Jesus has done for us. So praise, praise God for that. And so I want to leave you with this, going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Remember this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So just to remind you that sanctification drives us deeper into community. And what a privilege and what a joy it is that we are a part of this chosen race, this royal priesthood, and this holy nation, right? That we are a people for God, that we are in the household of God. And if this is all foreign to you, then I invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good and believe what he has done for you and see how his arms have always been open wide for you. Because although the gospel is exclusive in what it says, it is the most inclusive truth there is because he invites all of us to come to the table with him as he is your father and he has always loved you and he wants you to be a part of his family. So come, join his family and let's all eat together at his table. And at that, I'm just going to pray for us. Father, we thank you for the work that you have done on the cross, that you have died for our sins. Jesus, that you have died for our sins so that our relationship would be righted with you. And we thank you that in our adoration and praise, that that propels us and moves us into action. That because we are so thankful and because we don't belittle what you have done, the reality of what you have done, that you have, that you've, that Jesus, you've died on the cross, that you have renewed our minds, that that propels us into action and that we are going to use all of our heart, that we're going to love you with all of our hearts, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, and that that is going to drive us deeper into community and that that is going to drive us deeper into action so that we may know what it means to be a holy people, to be your people, that we would resist the pressures that we see, that the culture tries to impose on us. But then we would go out there and redeem culture because we have the best message there is out there, a message of hope, a message of redemption, and a message of love. Lord Jesus, oh Holy Spirit, Give us your power so that we may be your people and that the rest of the world would look and see us redeeming culture and loving one another because that is the love that you've had for us. Jesus, remind us of this. Let us live sanctified, holy lives for you out of worship and adoration for you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name.
Amen.